If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 22. If you are using a Bible app or if you have your smartphone, you can always go to BibleGateway.com. I am going to be looking at Joshua 22, verses 1 through 6. We'll also be looking at various other passages and concluding with Joshua 23, verse 6. We've been working our way through the book of Joshua, and we have seen how now the Israelites have settled and are going to be settling on both sides of the Jordan River, which is a good thing for them. It's because everything has gone well and their nation is doing well. And so they celebrate, and we talked about that last week, Sabbath, resting, just learning when we've done something good or accomplished something great to just be able to take a breath and, and praise God and not have to feel like we have to always be in control in doing everything. And so we saw last week how literally they made Sabbath a way of life. But the point is, life was good. Think about that. For hundreds of years, a group of people who are slaves in Egypt are planning and hoping and praying to get out. They finally get out. Moses leads them through the Red Sea, across the desert. They think they're going to go into their homeland, and they wander for another 40 years. They've had hundreds of years of slavery. Now 40 years of wandering people have died off. New generation of leaders has come in. And finally, they cross the Jordan River, and they establish their homes, and they establish their towns. And we saw how they set up these 12 tribes with with sort of like 12 different states. It was sort of like the United States before we became the United States with the different colonies. So these colonies are all working together. And now the question becomes, now what? Now what do we do? We accomplished it. We did it. And that's what happens in our lives. A lot of times in church, we seem to talk about what happens when we get off track? How do we get back on track? We talk about letting go of our guilt and experiencing forgiveness and realizing that we are not going to be perfect people and God's grace is always there with us. And so a lot of times our emphasis is how to get back on track when our life has gone astray. But what about when life is going well? What about those times when we're like the nation of Israel and we've just established ourselves and we've been planning for something and it's finally happening? Now how do we keep it going? I think about a testimony that I asked a young man to give in this church one time, and it was somebody who had grown up in church, and he said, I don't really have a testimony. I said, why is that? He said, well, I just grew up, and I was a Christian growing up, and and I came to faith. I stayed in the faith, and now I'm just attending church. I don't have anything exciting to share. I said, are you kidding me? That's the most exciting to share, that you've learned that God has been faithful and When the now what comes, we don't have to get off track, amen? We don't have to have our life just go off the rails completely to get it back on. God's desire for us is to continue to move forward, and there's not a parent in this world who doesn't want to hear that testimony of the young person who's just raised in a Christian home, trusts in Christ, lives for Jesus, grows up, stays faithful, gets married, raises a Christian family. That's what where goals are. That's what we're wanting God to do in our lives. So we make progress. Now what? How do we keep going forward? How do we keep it going? Now what? Well, this morning I'm going to suggest it is through the three C's. And none of the C's are Cushing's, so it's not 
become a Cushing. That won't do it for you. Celebrate, communicate, and learn the value of consistency. Celebrate, communicate, and consistency. This is true for our marriages, for our families, for individual growth. We get to a point in our life, if we've been working on something that's really important, we've taken on a task or a goal, and we believe the God's in it, these are the things that will keep us going, and it will answer the question of now what. But it has to begin with celebration. The problem is we can tend to be very negative, and we can see all the things that are problems around us, but it's important to learn to have that positive, optimistic spirit. Amen? I'm going to say it again. It's important to learn to have that positive, optimistic experience. True? Amen? Amen. That's how God wants us to learn to live. That when things go well, to learn to have the celebration, in fact, to have joy and celebration a part of our life every single day. Joshua chapter 22, verse 2. Joshua turns to the people as they've settled, and you can see this huge group of people who are together, and they're, what is he going to say to us now? And the scripture says, he says, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and you obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. He's given them a pep talk and a rah-rah. Congratulations, job well done. It's important to learn to have those moments when God has shown up in our life and things have gone well, that we can celebrate. Joshua celebrated with the children of Israel that they had been faithful. In fact, that celebration was so great that they were so unified that they made a decision that they've got 12 tribes, two and a half of the tribes, meaning two tribes and then half of one of the other tribes, gets to now go on the other side of the Jordan River because they're a unified country. And we're celebrating what God has done, and we know that we're going to stay together. So the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half of Manasseh are going to set out to the other side of the Jordan River when we are faithful and God shows up, when we've accomplished those things in our life, when... when we set out a goal, and now it's happened. We celebrate. I was working with a young runner one time. I can only think of one reason why the person wanted to work with me. I was cheap. I was free. I had to pay a different running coach. But the person was happy to work with me, and we kept working on goals. And finally, the goal became to beat a five-minute mile. Now, you're not going to run in the Olympics with a five-minute mile, but it's a pretty exciting thing for somebody to do. And so we worked, and the race happened, and the time was 5.02. Ready to beat that time. The next time it came time, we were able to get him enrolled in a race, and it was 5.04. A little bit of discouragement there. So that's okay. Keep going. Next time the race came up, 5.01. Things are going well. Next race, 5.10. It's challenging. A lot of it's mental. When God's working in our life and we're doing something good, whether it be trying to break a five-minute mile or taking on another task in our life, maybe it's a new job we want to do or a degree that we're working on, maybe it's something in our marriage or in our family we're working on, it just seems to be hard to get over that hump. And some of it's almost like it's mental and emotional. Finally, the next race, four minutes and 50 seconds. I was psyched and excited and celebrating, and the person turned and said... I should have done it earlier. No, this is great. You beat the five-minute mile. No, it should have happened earlier. Then I'd be much, much further ahead of where I am. 
No matter how hard I tried to get the person focused on celebrating, they couldn't do it. And eventually the person quit, becoming or quit running. That's what happens. If we can't take our wins, we have a term in the Cushing household, take your wins. Take your wins. Celebrate the wins. I remember David was a fifth grader, and he won the math Olympiad for his school. He got a little trophy. We made a huge deal out of it. And I said to him, take your wins, because you're not always going to get wins in life. We need to learn to celebrate those good things that God's doing. Soul Fest. We celebrated it. Vacation Bible School. We're celebrating it. We got a big photograph out there to prove it. Soul Fest. We got photographs down the hallway to show it. This week, we were invited over to Algonquin, where they had a health and wellness community festival. And we had an awesome time. We're spinning the wheels with kids, and they were winning prizes, and we we're talking to kids and handing out brochures for the church. And then we celebrated. We put a nice little post up on Facebook and said, hey, we had an awesome time to do it. And we celebrated together, saying, this is great. So everybody who volunteered, we made a big deal about it. It's important to learn that in our life. Have you learned the value of celebration? It's sticking a, a pole in the ground at a moment and saying, God has been faithful, and this is awesome, and I'm going to feel good about it, and I'm going to give God the honor and the glory. It's not just with running, and it's not just with church events. I remember early in our marriage when Regina and I finally went a week where we didn't have a disagreement. We celebrated it. This is awesome. You see, marriage is hard. I don't know if anybody else has ever experienced this, but taking two people who are as different as the United States and the Soviet Union in the middle of the Cold War, who've been raised completely different, coming from totally different places, it can be hard. All of a sudden, we're together, and like, how are we going to get through this? And friction starts happening, and we start feeling bad, and we want to do better, and finally things are going better. You celebrate it. People in recovery. We had somebody here last night who celebrated another year of recovery. Sometimes we're, it's not as comfortable to do that. We should be doing that in worship and having people understand that when we get those milestones and those good things in our life, we give God the praise and the glory for it. The Apostle Paul, Philippians 4.4, 4, he doesn't say, you know, life can be tough. He doesn't say, you know, complain most of the time and once in a while find something good. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord when? I didn't hear you. Always. Always. Life is about accepting the fact that God shows up, things go well, and now we want to keep it going. Amen? Now what? Because we do not need to have our, our lives completely go off the rail and become a total disaster for God to show up in our lives. And it's at those times when we sign up for a Bible study and life is going well and we're attending worship and our careers are going well and our relationships are going well that we want to celebrate that. But it's not just celebration. It's also learning to communicate. Communication is the key. Verses 10 through 12. Remember now, We've got this fledgling little country. They're all getting along. They all love each other. They know they do because they just had a celebration, and Joshua tells them how good they are. And now they say it's time for two and a half of the tribes. So you've got 12 tribes, and you know, about roughly a quarter of the people are going to go to the other side of the Jordan River, and we're still all going to be one country. And then we're told, verses 10 through 12, 
when they came to the region of the Jordan that is the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh built an altar right by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it and said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region about the Jordan on the other side. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people gathered together at Shiloh to make war against them. Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh have now been sent out, and they're living on the other side of the Jordan. And now they don't have communication. They, they don't have the ability to pick up their cell phone and talk to each other, and they're certainly not living in modern America where they can have a ride back and forth over the bridge to communicate with each other. And all of a sudden, the people on the one side of the river are looking on the other side of the river and say, what are they doing over there? They didn't get our permission to build that altar. We didn't tell them to build it. What are they doing? They must be doing something wrong. Obviously, they're doing something wrong. How do we know that they're doing something wrong? We haven't talked to them and found out they're doing something wrong, but we all think they're doing something wrong. And if we think they're doing something wrong, they must be doing something wrong. And without having a word, they all make the decision, we're going to go war, and we're going to go blast those people, and we're going to show them who's boss. Just like we do in our lives. Miscommunication happens. There's something going on. Somebody else does something or somebody else says something. It gets back to us. We don't go have a conversation. We don't go talk to them. We don't go work it out. We don't find out what's going on. And we concoct in our own little brain. Little squirrel cage starts going, and we start going round and round and round, and we start thinking what we think, and because we're thinking, it must be true. Think of how devastating that would have been for this little country. All of a sudden, a civil war with three-quarters of the country coming over across blasting, killing people. Why? Because we didn't talk to them. It's the only reason. Because we didn't ask them what's going on. I like the cartoon that says, my words came out fine. They were just processed incorrectly in your brain. Let's just reverse it. Your words came out fine. I just incorrectly processed it in my brain. And that's why communication is so essential. Because otherwise, we find ourselves, like the people of Israel, just ready to have all guns blazing and then figure out later whether or not we made a mistake. Fortunately, the Bible doesn't tell us exactly who spoke up, but fortunately, they didn't go to war. They did something different. They communicated. Hopefully, it was Joshua. We don't know, but maybe it's somebody else. Maybe some kid came up and said, you know, Grandpa... Are we really wanting to go kill those people when we don't really know what's going on? And so what we start reading that happens next in the text is in verses 13 through 20. We're told then the people of Israel, the people on this side, the big group of nine and a half tribes, sent the people, sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead. They sent over Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each tribal family, and every one of them the head of a family and all the clans of, of Israel. And they came to the people of Gad and half of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, and they said, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. They ask a question. What is this breach of faith that you have committed? Rather than just continuing 
to assume that they have it all figured out, that they've done something wrong. They do the radical thing of asked a question. What a brilliant idea. What, what, that is amazing. Like, somebody else is doing something and I don't understand what it is and rather than going in and speaking my mind and telling them what they've done wrong and going and letting them know that I'm right and they're wrong, I can just ask a question. And they walked over and they said, what's this big altar you guys built over here? Verses 21 through 31. Then the people of Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh said to them, Mighty one of Israel, verse 22, the Lord, the mighty God, he knows and let all Israel know it was not in rebellion or breach of faith against the Lord. And if it was, don't spare us. And then they go on and they explain and they said, what really happened is we built this great big huge altar here because we're afraid in generations our children are going to wonder who we are. And we just built it to say, why do we need this big altar? so that we can tell our kids that we're all part of the same country that you are, and we all love each other, and we all serve the same God, and so we have an altar here to remind ourselves. And when you look across the Jordan, you'll see it, and you'll know we're with you. The people of Israel had completely misunderstood 100% what they were doing on the other side of the Jordan. Folks, how many times do we do that in our life? How many times do we make these assumptions about someone else or something else in our family or someone else at work or anything else? We don't ask the question. We're convinced what we're convinced of. And all the while, they're doing something exactly opposite of what we're thinking. The text goes on and tells us that after they listen, verses 32 and 34, then Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, the chiefs, they returned from the people of Reuben, and the people of Gad, in the land of Gilead, to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel, and brought back word with them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel, and all the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them. Hear what they did? They went out and they asked, what are you doing? They listened to what they said. They said, oh, we misunderstood. They came back and they said to everybody, in case you're wondering, we, we just misunderstood. They're one of us. They haven't done anything wrong. And everybody was happy. They go, good thing we never planned on going to war against them, isn't it? You see, in their brains, they had it all figured out that they needed to solve it through violence. But once they had a conversation, they discovered there was no problem. The same thing happens in our lives all the time. My dad, when I was a young pastor, gave me a gift because he had been a pastor for many years, and he thought it would be very helpful for me to have something when I was doing marriage counseling with young families, to which I thought, hey, I've been married two years. I got it all figured out. What do I need to get from my dad for? And the book was a book on communication. And I remember when my dad gave me the book, I looked at it, and I thought to myself, what does communication have to do with marriage? <laughs> communication, folks, has to do with everything in life. God has a will for you. Learn to ask questions and listen. Case dismissed, or no, congregation dismissed. Learn to ask questions and listen. It solves so many problems in our life. If you want to keep more moving forward, learn to share and learn to listen. 
Learn to realize that if there's something going on in your life and it's bothering you, don't bottle it up inside and create a whole bigger scenario in your head. Share it and speak it to someone else and tell somebody something that's bothering you. If somebody else is doing something that you don't understand, don't go in and get mad and start yelling at them. Just ask a simple question and listen. And pause and give it 24 hours to absorb what somebody else is saying. We are no different than people were thousands of years ago when all of a sudden they see something that doesn't make sense, things in life are going really well, and the only way to mess it up is we mess it up. And God wants us to be able to continue to move forward and have positive and productive and consistent lives, which is why the last C is consistency. Once we learn to celebrate what God's doing, once we learn to communicate and talk and listen to people, the old boredom bug starts setting in. That means what we're doing is working, and we start thinking, well, since it's working, I'll do something different. Since life is going well, why don't I just make a couple changes and maybe try to do it my own way? We call that taking our will back. We go to a Bible study, and we're learning Scripture, and we're feeling good, and we're building relationships, and we're feeling like we're part of a church and part of a church family. And all of a sudden, the Bible studies aren't quite so exciting anymore, and we're not really learning that much because we've been in Bible study quite a while. So what do I need to go to one more for? Next thing we know, our spiritual life is not in a great place. Or if somebody's going to counseling, I know this because my best friend's a counselor, and we start going, and life is good, and changes are taking place, and all of a sudden, one day... We got it all figured out. My friend always tells me it's at those times that we need it the most. It's at the very moment where a person starts getting bored and says, I've got it all figured out, that it's that consistency that needs to start building into our life. Same thing happens in every area of our life. Satan knows where to get us. Just get us a little bit bored. We need something else, and we're going for greener grass out there somewhere. And yet it's inconsistency and learning to just keep going and realizing that God is in that process of constant, steady change, that real transformative change takes place in our lives. And so, in Joshua 23, verse 6, Joshua addresses everybody, and he says, Therefore, be strong to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right nor to the left. Now, Joshua was getting old. I know he was getting old because there's two reasons. Number one, the Bible tells us over and over he was getting old. And number two, Azekai preached here a few weeks ago, and he said Joshua's getting old. He also said something else that I need to call out our pastoral intern on. He said he was getting old like 60 or 70, so I want to put a new quote on our church. If you are 60, you are old. Azekai Rashito. <laughs> I say that as a 62-year-old. Hopefully, Joshua had learned a thing or two by this point in his life. Because now he addresses the congregation. He addresses everyone. And what does he say? Make life exciting? No. Figure out the next challenge? No. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep moving forward. Slow and steady wins the race. Do all, he says, that the scripture says. Don't leave some of it out. You see, again, that's where we get ourselves into trouble because we think life should be a smorgasbord. We should be able to walk in and pick what we want and leave the rest. And instead, what Joshua teaches is take it all. If you struggle with the book of Ecclesiastes, read through the book of Ecclesiastes. If you're not sure what the book of Jude is doing in the New Testament, 
read through the book of Jude. You find the book of Revelation challenging? Read through the book of Revelation. Take it all. Learn from it all. Because we don't know what and where God is going to speak to us in our lives. The reason the consistency is so important is because when we start weaving off to the right or to the left, what we're really doing is saying that I know better. That's true in every area of our lives. How many times have we worked with people who are getting it in recovery and things are going well and all of a sudden they make a decision? You know, I think I got this covered. I've been going to this meeting too long. Maybe, maybe I'll do something else on a Friday night. And the next thing we know, it leads to disaster. We would all do well to learn this today, to not go to the right or to the left. I get concerned when we pick and we choose. I hear Christians say, I'm a conservative Christian, or I'm a liberal Christian. How about being a Holy Spirit-filled Christian? How about being a Christ-centered Christian? How about just learning to be okay with our relationship with God and absorbing all that the Spirit wants to give us today and not having to go one way or the other, but just learn to be steady and go forward. I recently learned that the best time to plant a tree, do you know when the best time to plant a tree is? Anybody know? If you want the best tree in the town of Plymouth, do you know when the best time to plant that tree is? 20 years ago. Now you have a beautiful 20-year-old tree. Do you know when the second best time to plant a tree is? Today. And consistently take care of it for 20 years. And you'll have a beautiful 20-year-old consistently watered, well-fed, and taken care of tree. It's about consistency. It's about learning that everything's not going to be here right now. All of the changes aren't going to take place instantaneously. But when we learn the value of what the Scripture teaches us, to celebrate what's already happened and feel great about it and be able to celebrate it and put the marker down so we can go back and remember that God showed up and communicate by sharing what's going on in that scary brain of ours and let somebody else hear what it is so we can say to ourselves, I can't believe I was thinking that. Or somebody else can say, are you really thinking that? Or we ask somebody else what's going on rather than going out with all the guns blazing and then learn the value of just consistently moving forward. And that's what Joshua and that's what God wanted for Israel. And so for the rest of the Old Testament, now that this nation is established, they will do that and take their will back and things will go bad and they will get back on track and things will go well and they will take their will back, and they'll do it a different way, and God will bring them back. But here's the thing. We don't have to go back and forth. God wants us to be able to live that consistent, spirit-filled life today. Not tomorrow, today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that no matter what we have faced or where we are at this point in our life, you have a message for us today to trust in you and to find those things that are important. Celebrate them and see what's gone well. And learn to open our mouths and open our ears so that we can keep good communication with you and with others going. And then to learn the value of just consistently doing the things that you have shown us make a difference in our lives. And may we then find the blessings of being your children. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.